Lord, thank you once again for the privilege of learning more about you, Lord. And as we open your word now this evening, please be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 16. And we'll be looking at the three unclean spirits, also known as the false trinity, or the poisonous frogs of Revelation. Revelation 16, looking at verse 3 and 4. If you don't have your Bible, it shall be on the screen. And it says this, Revelation 16, verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now, if I were to ask you, as Seventh-day Adventist young people, what this verse entails, what would you tell me? How many entities are represented here? Three. There's the dragon, which is who? Okay. And there's the beast, who is who? Okay. Well, sound a little unsure there. So let's turn to Revelation 13 real quickly. Revelation 13, verse 1, real quickly, so we, so we can see who, who this beast is. It says this, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. Who's this beast power? Papacy. Okay, good. So, so the dragon, Satan. Beast power. Who's that? Papacy, Rome. And the false prophet. Who's that? Who's the false prophet? Apostate Protestantism. Very good. So basically, for every truth that God has, Satan has a what? A counterfeit. So for the true Sabbath, he has Sunday worship. For the true gift of tongues, you have gibberish. For the true way of baptism by immersion, you have sprinkling and infant baptism. For the true gift of the Lord's Supper, communion, he has instituted ecumenism. I'm sorry, the Eucharist. I'm getting ahead of myself here. And for God himself, the Godhead, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. There is a false trinity in the book of Revelation, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Now, in, in Revelation 16, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet represents three things in the last days that Satan will use to deceive the whole world. The first, I'm sorry, first quote here, Ellen White says, through his subtlety he gives to his soul-destroying errors the appearance of truth. Herein is their power to deceive. It is because they are a counterfeit of the truth that what? Spiritualism, what's the next word? Theosophy, and the like deceptions gain such power over the minds of men. Herein is the masterly working of Satan. He pretends to be the savior of man, the benefactor of the human race, and thus he more readily lures his victims to destruction. You know, Satan has always used one method. It's deception. God has always used one method as well. You know what it's called? Truth and love. Ellen White says, Desire of Ages, page 22, the exercise of force, which is the spirit of the papacy, is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love. Love cannot be commanded or it cannot be won by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to what? Love Him. So, Jesus, while here on earth, always used the same method of love to reach the hearts of men. Throughout history, Satan has always used deceptions to reach the hearts of men, or the minds of men, or the works of men. Ellen White says, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. Let me ask you, how many of you here are in school? College, or university, or high school? Okay, a few. 
How many of you have friends who are non-Avenists? How do you reach them? Oh, by the way, every person here must have friends who are non-Avenists, right? How do you reach them? We might say, well, why don't we t- tell them about the Sabbath or give them a great controversy or something like that. And the White says very clearly that Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. This is the only way possible that we as Adventists ought to reach people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. This is the only way. So, in the book of Revelation, we have, sorry, I'm skipping through some slides here. We have the dragon, which represents paganism and spiritualism. Note that down. We have the beast power, or Catholicism, or the papacy, and the false prophet, which represents apostate Protestantism. So these are the three deceptions, or, or, or the three unclean spirits, which Satan will use in the last days to deceive the hearts of many. Now, the question is, is there a movement upon earth in 2016? Is there a movement in our day that has the elements of all three things in one? Is there a movement that has spiritualism and paganism, Is there a movement which has that plus Catholicism plus apostate Protestantism? Is there a movement which has all three in one? The answer is yes. It's called the emerging church. In the emerging church, you have elements of all three unclean spirits. Catholicism, paganism, spiritualism, and apostate Protestantism. Here in this picture, you'll see in the center, there's a a circle kind of, and in the center is God. This is basically what you call ecumenism, where there's all these different religions, and through all these different religions, you can get to the same God. So it it, it doesn't matter what religion you're in or denomination you're in. As long as you somehow do something, you can get to the same God. Ellen White says, Satan has long been preparing for his final effort to deceive the world. The foundation of his work was laid by the assurance given to who? Even Eden. So we're told by God's prophet, Ellen White, that in the last days, Satan will deceive. Yes, it's also uh, told to us in the Bible itself. But Ellen White says that the foundation of Satan's work in the final days, in our days, the last days of Earth's history, was laid by the assurance given to Eve and Eden. So if we as Seventh-day Adventists ought to understand how how Satan will deceive the whole world in the last days, we ought to go back to Eden and see where Satan deceived Eve. Does that make sense? So let's go there. Genesis chapter 3, looking at verses 4 and 5. Let's turn there. Genesis chapter 3, looking at verses 4 and 5. Are we there? Amen. It says this, And the serpent said unto the woman, which was Eve, Ye shall what? Not surely die. That's the first lie. And you know, we as Adventists just stop right there and say, That was spiritualism that was given to Eve in the garden. So we think, okay, so... In order to warn people, warn the kids, warn our families, warn our friends about Satan's deceptions, we go back to this verse. Verse, what verse is this? Verse 4. And we say that, you know, in the last days, Satan will use the, 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 the mixed up version of the state of the dead to deceive people. And yes, that's true. But verse 5 is also the second phase of his deception. Look at verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be what? Opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Part of the deception of Satan 
was, yes, you won't die. But secondly, you will be God himself. You will be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's deception number two. And so we as Adventists focus on number one, when number two is creeping into our very own church. So, what is this here? This is called the great chain of being. On the left is the, is the traditional picture of it. Um, and simply on the bottom you see a little devil in the bottom. His name is Baphomet. And on the bottom is what you call hell. And in this great chain of being picture, people move throughout this picture up onto the top, which is where the God or Elohim or whoever that is up there um, is. So you move from hell, sinner, and you move up the, the great chain of being. On the right, you see um, other minerals and then gold and then, what's that, plants and then oaks and rose and a lion and then men and then princess and then church, king, moon, whatever, all that stuff is. This is, this is where the term emerging comes from. You emerge from the bottom up through the great chain of being. And this great chain of being was used through ancient Babylon, ancient Greece, ancient Rome. This teaching has always existed through pagan religions. Interesting. So, let me ask you, does anyone know who Dr. Kellogg is? Okay. How many of you are from Battle Creek? One person. Wonderful. I was just there today. Does anyone know what the alpha of apostasy is? No? Okay, good. That means I can teach you. Wonderful. So we're told by Ellen White that there was an alpha of apostasy that took place. What does alpha mean? Anyone? Beginning or the first? And what does omega mean? Okay, so Christ says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, right? So the alpha was the first apostasy. The omega would be the last apostasy. So... We're told by God's prophet Ellen White that the, uh, that the alpha of apostasy took place in the year 1903 by a person named Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. And what happened was Dr. Kellogg wrote a book called The Living Temple. And in this book, it was, it was pretty much a health book that he, had, uh, um, he wrote for the church. And his purpose was for, for the coal porters to actually sell this book to actually raise funds for his sanitarium. And so what happened was he wrote this book, and as the, um, as the plates were on the press at the Review and Herald to print this book, that same night, the Review and Herald burnt to the ground. And we're told by Ellen White that, that God burned it down because it contained the heresies by Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. And what, and what happened was, in that book, you find a teaching called pantheism. Now, does anyone know what pantheism is? Yes. What was that? I couldn't hear you. God is the universe. Okay, yes. So let's break the word apart here. Theism. What does theism mean? God. God. What does pan mean? All. Everything. So it's God in everything, or God in all. Pantheism. God is in this, he's in that, he's in pretty much everything. And like you said, he is the universe. Now, there's something in 2016, or in the modern days, which we now call panentheism. Oops. Panentheism. And this is simply similar to pantheism, but it's quite different. So, let's see here. Panentheism. Uh, panentheism, meaning all in God, is a belief that the divine, I'm sorry, that's misspelled, the divine interpenetrates every part of the universe and extends timelessly beyond it. Unlike pantheism, which holds that, that the divine and the universe are identical, panentheism remains a, a, a distinction between the divine and the non-divine, and the significance of both, whatever that means. 
And pantheism, the universe and everything included in it is equal to the divine. But in pantheism, the universe and the divine are not ontologically equivalent. God is viewed as the soul of the universe, the universal spirit present everywhere in everything and everyone at all times. Interesting. They call it spiritualism. This is spiritualism. So, what is ontology? Ontology is a philosophical study of the nature of being or becoming or existence. Becoming is as you grow. Now, where does that go back to? It goes back to the great chain of being. You become something through this great chain of being or you emerge. It goes back to the philosophy of the emerging church. Uh, existence or reality as well as the basic categories of being and their relations. I did that already. Of course, the, the, the great chain of being. So, panentheism. In some forms of pantheism, the cosmos exists within God who in turn transcends or pervades or is in the cosmos. The cosmos would be the universe. Okay, so the word transcends. What is transcendence? Or what does it mean to transcend? In religion, transcendence refers to the aspect of a god's nature and power which is wholly independent of the material universe beyond all physical laws. This is contrasted with immanence, where a god is said to by fully present and thus accessible to creatures in different ways. In religious experience, transcendence is a state of being that has overcome the limitations of physical existence and by some definitions has become independent of it. This is typically manifested in what? In prayer. In what? Seances. In meditation. Psychedelics. And paranormal visions. This is the fulfill, or this is what happens when you fully engage in the, in the transcendental realm of panentheism. Okay? And, and it's access to prayer, seances, meditation practices, psychedelics, or drugs, and paranormal visions. Now, who is this guy? Anyone know? His name is Brian McLaren. Now, I'm going to talk to you today about the emerging church movement. And I think it's very important because we as young people ought to know what's going on in the world, and more specifically, what's going on in God's church to prepare for what's going on and to meet it as we see it. Amen? So this guy right here, his name is Brian McLaren, and he is one of the, uh, the most popular North American emergent authors, speakers, promoters. He's written over 50 books on the subject. It's amazing. So, so what are some quotes from Brian McLaren? So here is Brian McLaren's website on panentheism or pantheism, and he says this, I'm thrilled to hear that at the emergent theological conversation this year, folks will be grappling with the process theology, and panentheism in conversation with Philip Clayton, among others. I wish I could be there. When Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, he's making claims that are political, economic, social, and theological. But I also think he's inviting us to imagine a reality that God brings, I'm sorry, that brings God and what? Creation together in what? What is that? What was pantheism? God is in the creation. He's in everything. And Brian McLaren is basically saying that God, that the Bible is teaching that God and creation are together in one. It's called pantheism, panentheism. And this was the alpha of apostasy which took place in our church in 1903 by Dr. Kellogg, which caused the host, um, Review and Herald to, to, 
to be burnt to the ground by God himself. Okay? Now, this is his, uh, his book, Brian McLaren's book called A Generous Orthodoxy. And this is what he says on page 178. It was an exuberant joy of simply seeing these masterpieces of God's creation and knowing myself to be among them. Okay? It was to be one of them and to feel and know that we, which includes all the creation, plants, rocks, whatever, all of, all of these creatures, molecules, and phenomena were together known and loved by God who embraced us all into the ultimate we. Now that's very pantheistic. In fact, if you go on Google and just, and just type in the word all, or the all, in fact, do it, and you'll see that the first results that you find there is on Wikipedia, the all, and it says the all, also known as the one, is a pantheistic or panentheistic view of God. And in this emergent conversation or, or in the emerging church theology, you'll always find these things, the one this, the one that, or they call their, their, their whole thing a conversation and, and, and less dialogue and all these things. So, who is this guy? Anyone know? It says it right there. <laughs> Leonard Sweet. Leonard Sweet is the second largest pro uh, promoter of the emerging church theology in North America. He is also a, um, a professor at a university called George Fox University in Oregon. And some of our Seventh-day Adventist pastors have received training under this guy. And let's see what this guy says. He says, oops, he says, change or be what? Change. In the old ecology of nature, change was seen as abnormal. In the new ecology of nature, change is life's natural normative state. What works today won't work tomorrow. The wonder is that churches are not in more disarray. They are standing pat, opting to uphold the status quo rather than undergo the upheaval. So what he's saying is, you guys, you, you, you traditional Protestant churches need, need to change or we're going to change you. You see, this is not in harmony with Malachi 3 verse 6 where God says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Is it? And then he says this, postmodern culture is a change or be changed world. The world is out. Reinvent yourself for the 21st century or die. He wrote a book here called Quantum Spirituality, a postmodern apologetic. Now, does anyone know what postmodern means? Anyone? Or what modern means? Okay, good, so I can teach you. <laughs> okay, yes, is base one of that? Okay, yes, basically it's, um, yes, after today or future, yes. Um, it's basically the culture of the day. Now, does anyone know what the word criticism means? We all should know this, right? Now, does anyone know what higher criticism means? It's when you take the Bible, like say, for instance, I flip here, and I'm here in Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 24. It says, the children of Bazai, 324. So what they do in this higher criticism people phase is they look at the Bible and say, no, that doesn't really mean that. What it actually means is that, I don't know, he, he went to dinner or something. They, they, they make up things, and what they do is the Bible is not a literal book anymore. It's a principled book. It's also called the principle-based approach to Scripture. So we as Seventh-day Adventists traditionally look at the Bible and says, okay, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So what we do is we keep the Sabbath holy. 
because it says it, right? Whereas in this higher criticism realm, what they do is they look at the Bible and says, okay, it says, remember the Sabbath, but what we're going to do is we're going to make our own day, and yes, the principle there is good to rest, okay, so we'll, so we'll choose our own day, and just the principle there is important, not what it actually says. This is what this whole theology is built upon, okay? And so he wrote a book here called A Postmodern Apologetic. Now, postmodernism is what rules 2016. It's the theology, it's the mindset out there in the world today, postmodernism. He says, the Christian of tomorrow will be a mystic, one who has experienced something or he will be nothing. Mysticism is the metaphysics arrived at through mind-body experiences. Mysticism brings an experience, it ends in what? Theology. Now, let me ask you, what's mysticism? What was that? Spiritualism. Have you ever heard of, I don't know, contemplative prayer? Have you heard of Lectio Divina? Or centering prayer or prayer circles or all these mystical practices? So what this guy is saying is that mysticism begins in experience. So as you engage in these mystic practices like, I don't know, drawing a big prayer circle and, and walking a prayer labyrinth and engage in emptying your mind so that something can speak to you there in the silence. As you engage in, in this mystical practices, this begins your experience and it ends in theology. What he's saying is that as you enter into this mystical realm, something speaks to you there and that shapes your theology. Yes, exactly. But we as Seventh-day Adventists are totally opposite of this, aren't we? Because we're built upon God's Word. What this says shapes our theology. In fact, Theology means the study of God. Theo, God, ology, the study of. The study of God. His book, His Word, of Christ. I and the Father are one. Whereas this thing is basically saying that enter into mysticism and this will shape your theology. But what these guys don't realize, or they probably do, is that whenever you engage in mysticism and emptying your mind, something else besides God speaks to you there. And it's not God. So, let's move on. He says, Quantum spirituality bonds us to all creation, as, which is very pantheistic right there, as well as to other members of the human family. New light pastors, or new age pastors, are what Arthur Peacock calls priests of what? Creation. Earth ministers who can relate the realm of nature to God, who can help nurture a brother-sister relationship with a living organism called planet Earth. This entails a radical doctrine of embodiment of God in the very substance of creation. Yes. Sure, absolutely. Take all... Okay, anyone? Snap a picture right now. <laughs> I'll slow down a bit so you can snap the pictures there. But, but this right here is very heavily pantheistic or panentheistic. He says God is in the very substance of creation. Also, he says... He, he talks about uh, New Age or, or, or New Light Pastors, and he relates it to Arthur Peacock. Now, does anyone know who Ar Arthur Peacock is? He is an Anglican and Catholic priest. Now, this is kind of interesting. How can someone be Anglican and Catholic? If you know the history behind the Anglican church, they broke away because their king 
would not uh, submit to the Pope. So it's, it's, basically, it's basically the same church, but just ruled by a different person. But this guy is an Anglican and Catholic priest, and this is what it says. Peacock self-identified as a what? As a panentheist. He is perhaps best known for his attempts to argue rigorously that evolution and Christianity need not be at odds. He may be a most well-known theological, I'm sorry, he may be the most well-known theological advocate of theistic evolution. Does it, can someone tell me what evolution is? Evolve. How many of you took biology classes at a public school? Okay. And how many of you learned about evolution? Where you evolve from nothing into something, right? So he's saying that, that evolution and creation, they don't have to be at odds. So what he did was he, he invented something called theistic evolution. Okay, so he, he basically said that, that God made the first molecule or the, God, or the first little bacteria or germ or cell or whatever, and then over billions and billions and billions of years, it evolved into humans. Whereas traditionally, evolution states that somehow a Big Bang made the first thing, and then over billions and billions of years, it evolved into us. But he combined creationism with uh, um, evolution and called it theistic evolution. Now, I mentioned George Fox University. Leonard Sweet, which is the author of these uh, pantheistic statements, is a professor here at George Fox University, a, a non-Adventist university, and George Fox was, was, was an actual man who lived about, a, uh, about a 200 years ago, and he was a very spiritualistic man. He engaged in lots of spiritualism. Okay? So, Leonard Sweet, he, he teaches there. Now, has anyone heard of something called the One Project? Yeah? Okay. Now, four of the five founders of this One Project has received their Doctorate of Ministry degrees, also called a D-Men program, from George Fox University. And guess who their professor was? Leonard Sweet. And these men, the four of the five founders of the One Project, are some of the Adventist ministers. Now this is what the, uh, the, their doctorate program consists of. It says this, the Leadership in Emerging Culture Doctor of Ministry program, or the D-Men program, tracks explore the character and shape of effective Christian leadership in the what? Emerging, so, so, so guys go here, or pastors go here, to learn how to be professional emergents. Now let me ask you, how many of you are in college? Okay, your professor most likely has a PhD, right? Okay, now, can someone tell me what is the difference between a D-Min or a Doctor of Ministry program and a PhD? Anyone know? Yes. Okay, yes. So, okay, say for instance, um, I, I want to teach at, at the seminary, which I don't, but say I do. Um, and so what I would have to do is, is obtain my PhD, which is a scholarly degree, where I would study all the biblical languages and whatever. You are trained to teach a theological course or, or whatever it is through, through, through philosophy. Whereas a demon program is a doctor of ministry, or it, basically you're a professional pastor. Okay, that's the difference. 
So these guys go here to be professional pastors in Adventism, but when they go here, they're trained to be professionals in the emerging culture, which is a big problem because this was the fulfillment of the what? The three unclean spirits. But yet there's seven of the Adventist ministers. How does that work? It doesn't. The program with Dr. Len Sweet prepares an advanced guard of Jesus, semioticians, leaders adept at seeing signs of Christ's work in the world. These followers of Jesus are not to be afraid of the future, but are excited about its possibilities and promises while aware of its perils and pitfalls. Oh, did something take place? Sorry. <clears throat> Keep talking. All right. So that was the program. So, the, so these guys, the founders of the One Project, have received their doctorates from this university and they're trained to be professional emergents. Yes? We'll talk about that in a few moments. Yes? Yes? Yes. Okay, so we're going to wait for this to go on because I want to move to my next slide. But in the meantime, um, that's basically what's going on. So in this presentation, <coughs> excuse me, I will show you Elements of the emerging church through different ways that are entering the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, this is very important because the emerging church, once again, is the fulfillment of the three unclean spirits. These, these three methods are the ways that Satan will use his three unclean spirits to deceive the whole world. Now, are we God's remnant church? Are we? You believe it? So we ought to anticipate things like this, aren't we? Now, turn in your Bibles to the last book, Revelation chapter 12, and let's look at verse 17. Revelation 12, verse 17. Oh, okay. Thanks. Here we are in verse 17. Are we there? It says this, And the dragon, who's the dragon? Satan, right? He was wroth or enraged with the woman. Who's the woman? Okay, so... As seven of the Adventists, we ought to expect this because the dragon is enraged with the church. He's wroth with the church. So he would obviously want to put his deceptions into God's church. You see, but if Satan came to our church and said, you must keep Sunday holy, would we accept him? No, because we know the truth. So what he does is he suddenly combines all three unclean spirits and puts them into something called the emerging church, and uses mysticism to draw us, members of God's church, to join his ranks. Very subtle, very subtle in his ways. Okay, how many of you heard of Big Face Grace before? Nobody, because you're in Michigan. If you live on the, on the West Coast, you would know them. <laughs> this is a Christian rock band. Oh, actually, it's a Seventh-day Adventist rock band. And guess who all the players are? They're pastors in, in the Adventist church, and they are the founders of the... One project. Now, now the one project teaches uh, that, you know, we ought to lift up Christ, which is very important, and, and I totally agree with them on that. We ought to lift up Christ because Christ is the center of Adventism. Amen? He is why we're here. We are a movement drawing the world to Jesus. But what they do, very subtly, is they is they pass out books by these authors, McLaren and Sweet and all these emergent authors, which teach mysticism to draw people to Rome. In the meantime, they'll we'll just lift up Jesus and mock doctrine at the same time. In fact, if you go on YouTube, this is go on YouTube and look up the one project, 
and just, and, and just watch their sermons. Say, watch three or four sermons. You will see an average of at least two or three sermons in, amongst the four that mock the precious doctrines of Adventism, like the Sabbath or the sanctuary. Yes. 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 Which we'll talk about soon. So uh, this is the Christian rock band. Now, is, is the audio hooked up to my computer? It can be? Okay. Now, I, I want to show you a little clip because, it, you know, you might look at this and say, okay, it's not that bad, but watch audio, okay? Once they do it. Now, so far, does anyone have any questions? Yes. The simple answer is because Satan is alive, and the second answer is because people like us don't speak up. Is it ready? Okay, so I'm going to hit the next slide, and can you press play on there? Um, just m move the mouse to the screen and hit play. Should be playing. So this is a, a short clip. Now the, the singer is Tim Gillespie. He's one of the, um, the founders, and the big... And the bass guitar player is Sam Lenore, you might know him. And uh, the drum player, Roy Ice, and Loma Linda. And by the way, this is main service worship now. At the Crosswalk, 7th Avenue, so yes, these are all 7th Avenue pastors. Okay, that's fine, thank you. Uh, let's move on there. You want to play that in this wonderful Cedar Lakes church, right? This is the anointed church. Yes. Yes. Until yeah. Yeah. She basically said that um that she talked to Elder Gallimore and he and he talked about the solution as the tares and the wheat will grow together until the harvest. So yeah. Now, has anyone heard of the Pathfinders? We all know about the Pathfinders. I'm a Pathfinder. Whoops. I'm a Master Guide. In fact. I love the Pathfinders. I can tie like 15 different knots. Yes, and I can build, you know, one of those, uh, those stick things where you build the sticks there and you hang a pot under it and have a fire on the bottom where you can cook a meal from sticks. It's pretty cool. Anyway, I'm a Pathfinder. Now, did anyone attend this event, uh, was it last year? Two years ago, 2014. Okay, this was the, uh, the 2014 Oshkosh Camp Rie, and guess who the main speaker was? Pastor Sam Lenore, and he was the guy in this rock band, the, the, uh, the bass guitar player and a leader and founder of the One Project, who went to Leonard Sweet to get his doctorate in ministry from. You see where it's all leading? Okay, let's move on. How many of you heard of the iFollow program? No, probably no one. <laughs> the, the iFollow program, you heard of it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think one of the biggest things that would affect them is if young people like us speak up. Yes. I'm not aware. I was only there for a few days. I didn't attend their services. So I have no clue. Yeah. Um, I don't need the audio anymore. Thank you, though. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. True. 
Okay, so what is this? This is the iFollow program. It's simply Bible study guides that was printed and made and published by, by the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists. And did you know that you know, with this series, it goes through each doctrine in our church and kind of waters it down, basically. And what it does is it uses quotes and resources from guess who? Brian McLaren, Leonard Sweet, and all these other emergent authors. And these are, are being used to train our pastors in the NAD. And lay, lay people as well, like you and I. Okay, Larry Sweet, right here. This is him. Now, can anyone tell me? Yes, Eric. True. Yes. Absolutely. In fact, you know what? Well, let me just briefly talk to you about the structure of our church. Now, I believe firmly that, that this is God's church. And the church is not Babylon. Let me repeat that. This is not Babylon. Just like Israel, there were, there were Babylonians in Israel, but Israel was still God's people. Yes, there are Babylonians in our church, but this is still God's church. Now, this guy right here, Leonard Sweet. Oh, before I go there, I was uh, t uh, asked to go over the structure of our church. The, the Catholic Church uh, runs like a hierarchy. So the Pope has ultimate control, ultimate say, and he dictates to all the cardinals, and the cardinals dictate to their bishops, and the bishops to their priests, and the priests to their parish in the Catholic Church. So it, it, it's from top down. In the Adventist Church, it's opposite, from the bottom up. So how many of you, in fact, when was the last Michigan Conference of Constituency meeting? Recently? This year? Oh, 2013. Okay, so what, so what it is is uh, every four years or some conferences, it's five years, the conference members, now laity, elect their officials. So here's how it works. Each church board elects two people to represent them on their organizing committee. And this, or and this group on this committee will elect one person from the church to represent them on a nominating committee. And this committee will, will then elect who the president of the conference is, who the treasurer and the secretary is in the conference. So our, our world church is, is really governed by the people. But the problem is most people don't realize that. And so if we speak up against them, they have to listen to us because it's governed by us. Now, this guy, Dr. Leonard Sweet, can anyone tell me where he's speaking in right here, in this picture? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. If you didn't hear him, he said that he's currently speaking in the college church there in Lincoln, Nebraska, for a Union College, the Seventh-day Adventist uh, College, and of course, here's their their uh, their, their website, Union College, Doctor Sweet to speak for Power Pack Weekend, and the bottom says, world-renowned Christian author Leonard Sweet will speak at Union College September 12th to the 14th. This was in 2013, so a few years back, but but nonetheless, this is recent, and these guys, these emergent authors, are, are speaking in our church. And I wonder why they don't speak here at Michigan. Because we know better. Why do they always go to the universities and colleges? Because the kids have open minds. The kids' brains are like sponges, right? They're open to expect, uh, accept whatever goes through them. So we as parents, well, I'm not a parent, but, but, but you as parents ought to train your children in the fear of the Lord. Amen? In fact, you know what? The highest position on earth is the role of the mother. The highest position on earth is a role of the mother. 
because God has entrusted children to the mother, or the family, mother and father, but the mother is ought to teach their kids the, the ways of the Lord so that when things happen like this in college, they can say, this is not of God, and flee from it. Amen? All right. Now, this is, back, uh, this is a quote from Dr. Sweet. He says this, Quantum spirituality bonds us to all creation as well as to other members of the human family. New Light pastors are what Arthur Peacock calls priests of creation. Um, where am I? Earth ministers who can relate the realm of nature to God, who can help nurture a, bro a brother-sister relationship with the living organism called planet Earth. This entails a radical doctrine of embodiment of God in the very substance of creation, similar to his previous quotes. God is in nature. God, God is in everything. Pantheism. And, and yet we allow this guy to speak to our kids at our own college. Nice. Brian McLaren, he says, we need to restore contemplation or contemplative prayer to know God. We need to bring back the contemplative practices of spiritual formation and social justice. It's been amazing for me in my travels to meet so many pastors and other leaders for whom spiritual direction has become an important part of their spiritual lives. I think we need a growing core of trained people who, for whom spiritual direction is a primary vocation. What does primary vocation mean? That's your full-time job. So what he's saying is, we need people who are, who are experts in spiritualism to be their full-time job and going out there to all these Protestant churches, all these Buddhist churches, all the churches in the world to bring them back to Rome, basically, is what he's saying. Notice his first sentence there. We need to restore contemplation to know God. Turn in your Bibles to John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. You get there saying amen, so I know you're there. Almost. John 17, verse 3. Okay, it says this. And this, now, this is Christ speaking. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So Christ is basically saying, guys, listen, your, your salvation is dependent upon you knowing who God is. Your salvation is dependent upon your conception of who God is. But yet, Brian McLaren says, we need to restore contemplation to know God. That's opposite of what this just told us. Amen? Okay, one other thing I want to do for you. If you are going through a low tide of faith, I want to encourage you to step, out, uh, to step up to a new level of Christian thinking by investigating some new authors and speakers the fact that your faith is struggling means that you need some new teachers. Philip Yancey, Leo Tolstoy, and Fyodor, just whatever that says, Walker, Percy, and Thomas Merton. Now, I don't know about you, but this is pretty scary. And we allow these guys to teach our people, and he's saying that if your faith is low right now, go to all these guys. No, the answer is if your faith is low, go, go to Christ. Amen? Go to his word, go to God, for only he can save you. Now, who's Thomas Merton? Guess who he is? Oh, it's not in there. Anyway, Thomas Merton is a Catholic monk. So if, if our faith is struggling, we ought to go to a Catholic monk? Doesn't make sense. Look at the great chain of being. This is from the book uh, Generous Orthodoxy by McLaren. And he says, 
uh, the great train of Bing seeks to capture this emergence, imagine the numbers on the previous diagram representing these realities. So number one, for the bottom, you start up. Remember, this is where the term emerging or emergent comes from. Bottom up, you emerge. So number one, space and time, the, the primal creation in which everything emerges. Number two, inanimate matter, the domain of physics and chemistry in space and time. Number three, microbiotic and plant life, the domain of microbiology and botany, which embraces domains one and two and then adds life. Number three, uh, I'm sorry, number four, animal life, the domain of zoology, which comprises domains one through three and adds increasing levels of, of sentience and intelligence. Number five, human life, the, the domain of anthropology and psychology and the art of ethics which comprises domains one through four and adds increasing levels of conscience and culture. Okay, so once you get to life, you then add the culture, and, and, and then number six, spiritual life, the domain of awareness of God, access through what? Theology and spirituality and mysticism, which is basically spiritualism, which encompasses domains one through five and adds the experience of the sacred and conscious relationship with God. Now, in the Garden of Eden, uh, Satan, through the serpent, told Eve, number one, you shall not surely die, and then number two, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Remember that? Through the same philosophy in our day, we're being told that if you emerge, if you evolve through theistic evolution, you will eventually become God himself. The same lie given to Eve in the Garden is the same lie that Satan's using today. Satan never changes. God never changes. Yes. It is. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You know, in the emerging church writings and theology, sorry, I'll be right with you. Um, you'll always see these big words and strange sentences because what they want to do is mix you up for some reason. Um, like, they'll use these weird sentences and weird phrases and big words so that you have no clue what they're saying. What are spiritual disciplines? Just like Brian McLaren said, we need people who, who, are, um, who know these things as a primary vocation, their full-time job. So, what are they talking about? What is spiritual discipline? Number one, contemplative prayer. How many of you heard of contemplative prayer before? Okay, it's simply where you take one word or one phrase and you focus and you zero down into this one word or phrase and until you, you lose sight of what's going on around you, you empty your mind and you enter into something called the silence. And in the silence is where God supposedly speaks to you there. But in reality, when your mind's gone, God don't speak to you. Satan does. Breath prayers. Oh, this is Rick Warren. He says, use breath prayers throughout the day as many Christians have done for centuries. You choose a brief sentence or a simple phrase that, that can be repeated to Jesus in one breath. It's so called breath prayers. Now, there's a book out there uh, called Hunger by John Dibdahl. And, uh, and the book called Hunger, which is a Seventh-day Adventist book, promotes this very same practice of breath prayers, where you breathe in a phrase and breathe out, I don't know, a, a phrase to God. And you do it over and over and over and over again, the same phrase, over and over and over, until your mind's empty, and you enter into the silence, and then something speaks to you there. Yes, Lectio Divina. What is that? It's scripture readings or, or uh, scripture prayers where you take the Bible. Let's say, for instance, I'm here in John 
17, verse 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee. So you focus on, say, one word or one phrase, and you just read it over and over and over again in your head, say it over and over and over again until you enter the silence where something speaks to you there. So all these disciplines um, are basically different routes, different ways, different um, roads that lead you to the same place, the silence, where something speaks to you once your mind's gone. Prayer labyrinths. How many of you saw these before? Prayer labyrinths. You might have saw them before, like Harry Potter and stuff like that. Or, oh, <laughs> where you basically walk the, the prayer labyrinth, and you pray while you're walking, and then once you get to the center, or the silence, once you center down, there are four or five little stations in there called prayer stations. Now let me ask you, how many of you were born and raised Catholic? One person. Yes, and you back there as well. So, now in the Catholic Church, there, there's something called prayer stations. Have you heard of that? Or the, or the prayers of the cross, or something like that. Or No, I'm sorry, the stations of the cross. Same thing, all roads lead back to Rome. It's the same thing, different methods. And these we have seen on campuses of, of Seventh-day Adventist colleges and universities. Practice, I'm sorry, the practice of, of the presence of God. This is simply founded by uh, a man, a monk, actually a Catholic monk here in America, named Brother Lawrence. And it's simply where you practice the presence of God, which I'll show you an example of right here in a book called Jesus Calling. How many of you saw this book before? or heard this book before called Jesus Calling. This is one of the most popular books in the world today, or at least in, in the Christian circles today. It's sold at Costco's, at Walmart's, at Myers, at everywhere you go, this, this book is sold. And this book was, was written by a lady named Sarah Young, and it's called Enjoying Peace in His What? Presence, which is also a, uh, a devotional to help you practice the presence of God through mysticism. Now, this is what the author has to say about her book. She says, My journey began with a, with a devotional book called God Calling, written in the 1930s by two women who practiced waiting in God's presence or practicing God's presence, uh, writing the messages that they received as they listened. Quotes. About a year after I began to read this book, I began to wonder if I too could receive messages during my times of communing with God. So I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I sensed him saying. Now this is called automatic writing. This is where you have a pen in your hand, and you basically practice God's presence through mysticism, and, and as the Spirit talks to you, you write down what you hear. What they don't realize is that this is not God speaking to them. Yes, and so this book here called Jesus Calling is a 365-day uh, year, year devotional where each day is, is written by her with pen in hand listening to the spirits talk to her. It's a book of mysticism, and yet, oh, by the way, watch this. This book, are they being sold in our own ABCs? Watch this. 17 ABC, okay, no, no, there were 39 ABCs surveyed in the North American division. 17 of them do carry the book, which was written basically by demons. 16 don't carry it, praise God, and 6 carried it in the past, but no longer. 
And praise God that the Michigan Conference does not carry it. Amen? Sarah Young, right here. Sarah Young. Sorry, there it is. On the book. Sarah Young. It's a, it's a very popular book. It's sold in Costco's Myers all over the world. <clears throat> so, Satan is enraged with God's church in these last days. And so he has infiltrated the church by using methods of spiritualism uh, through the three unclean spirits, these poisonous frogs, to especially target our young people. Especially our young people. And you know what? God needs his people, his young people. In fact, you know, Sister White says that God is calling an army of youth who are rightly trained in his word. In the last days, God will use young people to end this movement. You know, this movement began down the road in Battle Creek by young people. When Ellen White first received her first vision, she was 17 years old. When, uh, when, when Uriah Smith first preached his first sermon about the Advent message, he was 12 years old. Uriah Smith. This church began by young people. And God will use young people who are rightly trained in the last days. Amen? That's why it's important for us to spend time daily in God's Word, learning, praying, contemplating the right way upon His Word. That's why Sister White says, let us spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ, letting our imagination grasp each thought, especially the closing scenes of Christ's life. Because by beholding, you become changed. Amen? Nothing could, nothing could deceive Jesus because he knew the truth. And if we behold Christ, he then dwells in us. Nothing can deceive us because we know the truth, which is Christ in us. And that's what God's looking for, is his people, his children, his youth, his young adults, you and I, to take a stand, to speak up, and to ultimately behold him and become changed into his image. What do you say, amen? That's pretty much it for this, for this presentation. So let's pray and uh, ask for God's anointing upon us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again for the privilege it is to serve you, for the privilege it is to be called a Seventh-day Adventist young person. Lord, thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light, for calling us to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, Lord, in these last days of Earth's history. And I pray for each person here, Lord, each young adult here, each person here, each adult, each child, Lord, that we are all children here on earth in your eyes. And you're calling all of us, Lord, men, women, and children, to take up the gospel, the precious gospel in the context of the three angels' messages to combat those three unclean spirits. So bless us, Lord. Encourage us. Empower us. And Lord, shed your grace upon us now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.